The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about when bullying turns to murder, the Skylar Niece story. Perhaps you've heard something about this as um, it's, well, it's been in the news and it's been on Dr. Phil and Anderson Cooper and Dateline, and um, it really, this tragic murder, not that most murders are tragic, but this is particularly tragic because it was a 16-year-old sweet girl with her whole future ahead of her. Um, so uh, it, I'm go- going to introduce my guests, and what I want you to get from this, um, I mean, first of all, it's just really sad and shocking that something like this uh, could happen in America. There, are, I mean, every day there are murders of one sort or another in the headlines. But um, as you will see, the details of this, um, including the perpetrator being BFFs with um, the victim, uh, is a little unusual and a little scary to think that this kind of thing could be going on <laughs> in the minds of 16-year-old girls in any high school um, in America. So um, my guests today are the ones who know this story best. First of all, David Neese, Skyler's father. Um, he is still grieving and is still t- and trying to get this message across that no parent should think that this can't happen to their child because it was certainly a shock that it happened to his. Also, um, Dailene Berry and Jeffrey Fuller, they are the authors of The Savage Murder of Skylar Niece, The Truth Behind the Headlines. Actually, I met David and Dailene um, at the Dr. Phil show and uh, when, when the topic, of course, was this murder. And um, it was, it was um, appalling then, and it's still an, appor- an appalling um, truth or story to share now. So first, let's start with David Neese. David, um, you know, of course, my condolences again. Um, Skylar was, well, I'll let you tell us what Skylar was, but uh, I'm sure today, I would, I would venture to say that today you're not any less grieving than you were when, when she first disappeared. Oh, that's very true. No, uh Every day they say it gets a little easier, but it certainly hasn't for us. Mm-hmm. Well, start from the beginning. Who was Skyler before that fateful night of July 6, 2012? Skyler was happy, energetic, a great sense of humor. <clears throat> she was very 
very loyal to her friends. She can keep a secret, as many of her friends has told us. Um, Skyler would, if I could say it in just one word, energetic. She was very energetic. She had, she was always happy. She was always, you know, the uh, scenario walking on air. Well, that was Skyler. She was, she was a peppy little thing with just a three little tiny girl, five foot two, and she was just had the whole world ahead of her, like you said. And, um, you know, looking at that, uh, do you think that that made her somewhat vulnerable? Do you think people, you know, she had that sort of, I don't know whether you'd call it naive, but that happy little peppy little, you know, do do you think her killers, as as the story will unfold, do you think that they thought that she would be an easy target? Oh, yeah, probably so, because she did trust them. Obviously, or she'd never gotten the car with them or been BFFs with them, for mm-hmm. that matter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where would you like to start? I mean, why don't we... They were BFFs. Um, we're talking about um, the... We're talking about Rachel Schof and Sheila Eddy. Those are the two 16-year-old murder, murderers. Um, and tell us about how well Skyler knew them. Well, with Sheila, she knew her best of the two. She uh, she knew Sheila for a good, I'm going to say, eight years beforehand. And uh, she had went to uh, summer camp with uh, Sheila. She had went to Sheila's house very, very often. Um, just about every weekend she was, you know, with Sheila. And then when Sheila moved to Morgantown, uh, Skyler's uh, would have been junior year. Uh, I'm sorry, sophomore year, uh, she uh, was with Sheila every day, you know. Rachel, on the other hand, she didn't know as well because Rachel wasn't, uh, didn't, well, she grew up around here, but she wasn't in this area because she attended a different school. And uh, so they didn't know Rachel as well, but they still knew her well enough to be a BFF, you know, however well you have to know somebody to do that. And, um, yeah. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, she, uh, she, uh, was snuck out of her window that night and went on a car ride, a joy ride with them and never returned. And you said that she knew Sheila for eight years. So that means it was approximately from the time they were, uh, eight to 16. Now, over those eight years, did you, what did you notice? Did you, did you notice anything about Sheila changing? Yeah, um, my wife and I, my wife more than me, noticed that, you know, Sheila got into a lot of trouble that she really could have avoided. She lied to her mother a lot. She uh very manipulative, very, uh, very nasty and hateful to her mother at times. Um and she was changing, and, you know, Skyler saw that change also, and I think Skyler was just trying to help her in one way or another, you know, not be a bad person. And nobody wh- really liked Sheila at school. It was Skyler everybody liked. And it seems, you know, from everything we found out that, you know, she may have been hanging around Sheila just to have everybody like her. mm <laughs> And what was the thing that changed in Sheila's life that made her become 
manipulative and start lying and getting into trouble? I think as she grew older, Sheila's a very attractive young lady, and I think as she grew older and got more and more attention from boys, it, that's what did it. I think that's what did it. Now, it's never been proven or anything, but um, she got more and more attention from boys, and um, she played on that attention. She used that attention to her benefit. And uh, she manipulated boys the same as she manipulated her mother and her stepfather. Mm-hmm. And, as, yeah. I'm sorry. As she went on um, that summer, they had just gotten back from vacation. Sheila, her mother, her stepfather, and Skylar had all went to the beach. And uh, they had gotten back, and a week later is when Skylar was murdered. Hmm. Did you ever find anything, did you ever find out about anything that happened during that time? That um, they... I I didn't firsthand, but later on it came out that there was an argument between Sheila and Skylar at the beach, a bad argument, and supposedly when Sheila got back from the beach, she told Rachel, we have to do this soon, because this has been planned a lot longer than, you know, just jumping in the car and going and doing it. They had this plan for at least at least six months, hmm. if not longer. So um, Sheila told Rachel, we've got to do it soon. What, so did, they ar- so, what did they argue about? Uh, that, that I don't know. Hmm. It's speculation at this point. But um, I think my personal thing is I think, Sheila may have tried something with Skylar, and Skylar said, no, absolutely not. Mm. And um, that that's what happened there. It, mm. And that's, again, my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, and tell us what, I know it's hard to talk about, but tell us what did happen that night, that final night that she went out the window to join her friends. Yeah, she, she snuck out her window to go joyriding with Sheila and Rachel. And they took her out about 30 miles from our house to a place called, through through a place called Blacksville, and took her on Morris Run Road, which is right into Pennsylvania. And they stepped out of the car and started small talk at a, at a designated time. And with hand signals, they attacked and stabbed her to death. Yes, they counted one, two, three, and on three, they stabbed her. And how many times did they stab her? Or was it even countless? It was countless. You know, it's so, um, I mean, that would be appalling for in any kind of situation. But the idea that that, that it, it's such a primitive, animalistic act the idea that two 16-year-old girls could do something like that. Girls, um, first of all, girl murderers, female murderers, are more rare than men. And second of all, um, when they do kill, it's something more uh, typically, you know, pa- in a passive way. Not when, when you stab somebody, whether it's a man or a woman, it's a very intimate kind of crime. It's a very, uh, it's filled with rage and, and um, you know, it, it's, it's really getting it's it's really getting involved with that person i mean it's expressing a lot of emotion a lot of rage towards that person as opposed to even shooting a gun um so it was very personal and um 
And and one of the things that then you after when you noticed the next morning that um, that Skylar was missing, you or was it was it what time was it when you noticed she was missing and called the police? Around, it was around one thirty the next day, as close as I could calculate. I had come in, I had come home from break at uh, Walmart. I worked there, and I had come home to give Skylar the car so she could go to work that night. And her mom was just going to pick me up, and Skylar was going to take the car to work. And I knocked on her door because the door handle was locked, and I kept yelling her name, and, of course, I got no response. And I finally opened her door with a makeshift key, and um, I noticed that her, her bed hadn't been, you know, slept in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I then I looked over... Uh, well, well, I'm sorry. I know I, I need to. We need to take a break now. I'm just getting a clue in my ear. Um, but I, I, when we come back, we'll talk a little more about how, how frustrating it was when you did then try to call the police and they were, wouldn't send out an Amber Alert. So we'll talk about that. We're talking today about when bullying turns to murder, the Skylar Niece story with David Niece, her father. Uh, Daylene Berry and Jeffrey Fuller, the authors of The Savage Murder of Skylar Niece, The Truth Behind the Headlines. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about a very tragic story, but one that we can all learn from um, when bullying turns to murder, the Skylar Niece story. Before the break... um, I was talking with David Neese, Skyler's father, who um, was just about to tell us about how he tried to reach out to get help from, I guess, what, 911 or the police, and, and you didn't get much help. <laughs> so tell us about that. Yeah, I called, uh, my wife said, called 911 immediately. When, you know, Wendy said, called where Skyler worked at and said she hadn't shown up, and then we started freaking. So we called uh, 911. And they sent a Star City Police Department officer down here, which is the town we live in. And uh, 
he took a report, and we walked door to door and knocking on doors. Now, let me remind you that while we're walking doors to door, in the meantime, we've been on the phone with Sheila, asking her if she knew anything about where Skyler might be or anything. And at this time, Sheila said no, that she that they went joyriding. Well, first she lied and said she hadn't seen her at all, and then she said yes, she did pick her up, called Mary back and said yes, she did pick her up, and they went joyriding. But she dropped her off well before midnight. She was home in bed by midnight, is her story. So while, while in the meantime, uh, the landlord was called to see if we could see anything on any of the surveillance cameras, and uh, Sheila and her mother had agreed to come over and help us look. So Sheila shows up with her mother, and they're on one side of the street with Mary and her best friend. They're knocking on doors, showing Skyler's picture to everybody, and I'm with the Star City Police Department officer on the other side of the road, knocking on doors, asking anybody if they see anything, searching houses when they'd let us and everything. And, um, of course, nobody had seen, you know, Sheila's knocking on doors saying, my best friend's missing, have you seen her? And showing her picture around everybody. And, um, of course, nobody had seen her and nobody knew anything. And the frustration level's just growing because, you know, what do you do? You, It's the most helpless feeling in the world mm-hmm. to feel like that. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it makes you feel like you can't do anything. And they, so you we, wanted them to put an Amber Alert out. Oh, God, I wanted them to put an Amber Alert out and call the National Guard and call the president and everything else. But, of course, you know, they have to do what they have to do. They said they could not put that out of the Amber Alert because after we saw the uh, cameras, the surveillance cameras, we did see Skyler walking across the parking lot with her purse and getting into the rear seat of a rear door of a car, okay? And at that time, we couldn't tell if it was SUV, a regular car, or what it was. But we did see her not being forced into there as well. Since she wasn't forced, mm. and we didn't think she was in harm's way, they would not issue an error alert. Mm-mm. They considered her a runaway. Exactly. Yeah. Well, now let me turn to Daylene Berry and Jeffrey Fuller, the co-authors of the book about the Skylar Niece story, The Savage Murder of Skylar Niece, The Truth Behind the Headlines. So, Daylene, what? Well, first of all, is there something in David's story that he just mentioned that you would like to comment on? Uh, yeah, I think that um, as a parent of four kids, that's every parent's worst nightmare: is your child disappearing. And um, long before we started writing the book with Dave and Mary, um, I'd pass the posters and see Skylar's face. You know, didn't know Dave and Mary, didn't know Skylar, but as a parent, I had had two teenage girls run away for about 12 hours each, and um, fortunately, I knew the police, and the police brought my daughters home, so I felt for them, um, and it was just horrifying to think of what they must be going through. And let me just clarify something. You have four children. Um, the nieces, unfortunately, yes. only had one child, and so now, I mean, not that, <laughs> not that they wouldn't have missed Skylar even if they had three others. Um, but go. I just wanted to clarify that. So yes. So so that was part of why you were motivated to to tell this story. Yeah. Okay. And what? Um, yep. So where in this whole situation? At what time did you contact them? The I didn't contact. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you talked to me. I didn't contact Dave and Mary until uh, Jeff 
and I sat down together to talk about the story mm. and uh, to see if we wanted to team up and work together on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I'd had um, my stepdaughter resembled Skylar, and I'd been seeing the uh, posters all over, you know, the flyers all over town, and, and, you know, my heart went out to Dave and Mary, and although I didn't know them at that point, but um, it just, I I didn't know what they might be going through the way Daylene did, having had those experiences, but I just knew it must be terrible. Yes, boy, that must have, every time you saw the poster, you imagined what it would be like if it was your child. Yeah. She's the same age as Skylar was and, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what, um, either Daylene or Jeff, what, uh, what part of this story got you the most um, interested, curious, angry, what? Jeff, you want to go first? Yeah, well, I, th- I think what initially caught um, our interest, someone had, had mentioned to me that I should look into this, and I thought at the time it was, um, you know, a terrible story. The, the general rumor running around town and all was that she had run away or that she'd run off with a boyfriend or something like that, and so I'd thought that, that was what the case was. Uh-huh. Um, and when I started to look into it, I found it was not that simple at all. It was something much more complex. And um, so I knew that, you know, I, I wanted to look into this, and I, wanted, I knew that it would be, quickly discovered it would be a you know, huge um, undertaking and talk to Daylene because I knew her background with journalism and her background with... Um, victims, abuse victims, and so forth. And so I asked her to see if she would be interested in helping. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I mean, what was it in Skylar's story? That in your, as you started to write the book, and um, what, what are some of the things, I mean, there are just so many shocking things, how apparently Sheila and Rachel asked a science teacher how to get rid of a body months before yeah. the murder, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For example, what about that, Daylene? That was that was incredible. I mean, it just blew my mind away that these two girls were making a joke in in their biology class about killing their best friend, and nobody caught it. Nobody was aware of what was going on, and they took it from the level of a joke until it became a plan. And that happened, we believe, in about October of 2011. And they continued with it until they carried it out. So the premeditation, the deliberateness of it, the cold calculated, there's never been a crime like that committed by teenagers in West Virginia ever. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe, <laughs> I don't know how many of these <laughs> crimes there's been altogether. I mean, I think yeah. it's pretty rare. I haven't, I haven't heard of anything similar to this at all. Um, I hope you never do again either. Well, yes. So, what about? I know there are other. What are some of the other things that? Um, what about? Uh, there were, there were eventually um, Rachel's diary revealed uh, things. How did you get to see Rachel's diary? Or that came in the, out in the court hearing. We I we have a lot of different sources that I interviewed, and um, some of those sources are confidential. But yeah. they spoke about having seen Rachel's diary, and one of the things that was really uh, incredible was that she wrote in her diary about being sorry and about the lies, and 
you could tell something had happened. She didn't go into detail, but she literally wrote in that diary not long after the murder. So it was clear that she was really troubled. Um, and then it came out um, later on through some, some other teenagers that Skylar had revealed to um, a girl named Shania um, that she had actually seen Rachel and Sheila having sex one night. And that um, was something that Mary confirmed um, that she wrote about, Skylar wrote about in her diary. Ah, and Dave, when did you find that? When did you find that in Skylar's diary? Um, a long time before any of this ever. I mean, the police had the diary for the longest time, and uh, we didn't get it back till after the thing was over. Until you know, after all of it was over, so we didn't actually find it until after that. But the police knew about it way before that. So you mean you you didn't know about it until after um, both girls were identified well, and yeah we knew about it because of what the police had told us uh-huh. I mean, but we didn't actually see it ourselves until after that well so yeah let's talk a, a little bit more about that because that is the I mean that does seem to I guess um, to this day right uh, I know we talked about it at the Dr Phil show but to this day that still seems like the most likely reason um, why uh, Sheila and uh, Rachel and Sheila wanted to get rid of her, that they were afraid that um, that Skylar would tell everybody and that would that they had sex, that, that Sheila and uh, Rachel had sex, that she saw them, and that that would be humiliating for them um, at school. Do, do you want to comment on that? Uh, no, because I can't we prove let... any of that. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting, though, is what you said earlier in the show um, about how Sheila and uh, and Skylar had an argument on the beach, and you were saying, I mean, I took that to mean, you said you thought Sheila tried something with Skylar, which I took to mean as tried to k- come on to her sexually. Isn't right. that what you meant? Right. Yeah. So yeah. that would make total sense. Because if here they were already worried that Skylar was going to reveal their secret to the world, and then Sheila um, approached Skylar, and Skylar didn't want to have anything to do with it, that would make her really more frightened, make Sheila more frightened, that yes, she's not going to be a part of this, you know, that they're not going to all be doing this together, um, but rather that she doesn't approve of this, and then she would be more likely to tell people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's very, you know, but there's only really two people that know <laughs> exactly why they did it, and those people have not told us why yet. If the, the only thing that they spit out of their mouths is, we don't want to be friends anymore, and that very well may be a cover-up for what they actually did want to do, but they haven't said that yet themselves that I know of. Well, that is kind of a euphemistic way, a polite way, or a, you know, um a vague way of saying they didn't want to be friends anymore because they were afraid that she was going to reveal their secret. I mean, it really all go- fits together with um, the kind of crime that it was, as I was saying, this really intimate stabbing. I mean, a really uh, passionate, uh, you know, angry, scared um, kind of feeling that um, that Rachel and, and Sheila must have been so terrified that this secret was going to come out, that, that they were able to overcome uh, the normal human instincts of not killing your BFF. And, here we're, and this is a, 
just hearing the music for the break. So this is a place to break. Um, it's all, I know it's all so difficult to, to talk about and to think about, um, especially when you look at Skylar's innocent, beautiful face. It's, it's just hard to believe. We're talking today about when bullying turns to murder, the Skylar Niece story. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the Skylar Niece story, When Bullying Turns to Murder. My guests are David Niece, Skylar's grieving father, um, who I met at Dr. Phil. I also met Mary, Skyler's grieving mother. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to be with us today, but both of them are such sweet people. You just, it just, um, it just boggles one's mind and it's so painful to think of them losing this beautiful, peppy, as you were saying, uh, full of energy little girl. And also, Daylene Berry and Jeffrey Fuller, they are the authors of The Savage Murder of Skyler Niece, The Truth Behind the Headlines. So, Daylene, what is it, um, as you were, you know, I know you spent a lot of time researching this book and talking to people and so on, what got you the most? I think one of the hardest things for me to comprehend was the way Sheila Eddy inserted herself in the crime, in the investigation. And she was very, it seems very cold and calculated, the way she went to help search for Skylar, um, the way she feigned sadness, her public tweets, and just seemed to not be affected at all by what she had done. That just was a horrific thing. It, would, it gave me nightmares. Yes, yeah, so like the, a, a cold-blooded psychopath. Yeah, really. That's essentially seems to be how she <laughs> how she is. <laughs> it's really it was really um, unnerving to think that all these people were fooled in our community. Um, you know, initially the school officials supported Rachel and Sheila because they felt like the police were picking on them. Huh. And 
to this day, the school will not even talk or allow any of their teachers to talk about what happened during the time that the investigation was going on, what led up to the murder, because they they don't want to be involved in it. And I think that they maybe realize that they made a huge mistake, but because they they supported and defended these two killers. Hmm. Well, I wonder if there was some potential liability. I mean, David, did you ever did the possibility come up? Uh, about suing the school? Like, for example, if Sheila uh, and Rachel asked a science teacher about how to get rid of a body, or if kid, well, the kids wouldn't be like, but I mean, why, was there some feeling that maybe the school should have, should have known and should have done something? So let me just put it this way. I do have a lawyer. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it seems like other students seem to know about this, and the, and the science teachers should have been a little curious as to why they were asking about that. Um, not the typical question you get in high school science. <laughs> um, so, yes, that, that's good. Jeff, what about, you, what about you? What what got you the most? Well, I th- it was the whole, um, just the layers and layers of, interlocking things that were happening in the teenage world. I mean, for instance, the, uh, the, Daleen heard from some people that, uh, Sheila and Rachel had asked about disposing of the body, but this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Daleen, but the science teacher said he didn't hear that question. And, uh, so things were floating around in the teenage world, rumors about what had happened, uh, and why it had happened and so forth months before the adults knew about this. And, for instance, the um, relationship between Sheila and Rachel, there were some students who had uh, suspected that um, and even joked about it. And Rachel and Sheila, were, with their tweets, were fending off um, uh, uh, taunts. I don't know, it might be too strong a word, but they were you know, making jokes about how they weren't lesbians and all that sort of thing. And so that was a common... Um, Mm. subject of discussion, but only among the kids. You know, the, the adults just knew nothing about this. Mm-hmm. And was that before, um, was that a common topic before Skyler was murdered? Yes. Hmm. So that's interesting. I, I, but I guess nobody had, I guess that was the thing. That made it even, the stakes even higher, that they were fending it off and, and Skyler actually knew the truth. Um, yes, yeah. she had witnessed um, one, at least one liaison back in the summer of 2011. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the things that... Why, why don't we talk a little bit about the punishment that they got? Because that, one of the things, unless I'm sort of misunderstanding this, but it kind of... It seems to me that Rachel, who came forward... Let's see, what was the time frame she came forward... Um, in uh, Skyler was murdered in 3rd. July. When? January the third of two thousand thirteen. Okay, and um, and then and she and she so she told them that she was part of it, um, and or, or what is that? Which I mean, she told them that she did this, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then why did it take so long? Did she not tell them that Sheila was a part of it from the beginning, or why did it take well, so she, long? No, she told them the whole truth. Uh, so, that's what we was wondering why it took so long. To, to uh, arrest well, we were Sheila. Told because of, uh, 
it was the crime was actually committed in Pennsylvania, and we had some legalities there. I was told, and it it took it seemed like Sheila walked in or Rachel walked into the lawyer's office, met with Ronnie Gaskins, told Ronnie what she had and Sheila had done, and they said, "Okay, go home for six months, and we'll get a hold of you." That's huh. what it seemed like to us. Okay, so um, you know that's that's. So- May 1st was when Sheila was arrested. Yeah, why did so, it take from January to May 1st for Sheila to be arrested? That's we a very actually, good question. And we actually address that in the print book that's coming out in July. It, it, they had the concession, but um, there's a lot of times in law enforcement where they find that people falsely confess. Um, and yeah. so they didn't have any evidence to back it up. They were waiting for the DNA results from the remains that they found. And they didn't have enough evidence to charge Sheila. So they, I think they want, really wanted to get the investigation tied up in a way where she couldn't get away once they had mm-hmm. it. I, that's my opinion, based mm-hmm. on what they told the interview said. Mm. And they did. They tied it up good enough where Sheila couldn't get out of it. I mean, they, that's very, uh, that was very well. I think what we're missing a little part of this, if you don't mind me saying. Sure, sure. Um, months and months and months of investigation by three people, okay? There was uh, Jessica Colbank, Ronnie Gaskins, and Chris Berry. And Chris and Ronnie are state policemen, and Jessica is a local Star City police officer. The amount of effort these people put into this was unreal. They used their own time. They used their own money on the weekends. They would go out and search. They would go out and talk to people on their off time. They was working 16 to 20 hours a day on this. I mean, it was just for me, I I saw these people while they were going through this. They saw what I was going through. I saw what they were going through. And they were going through as much hell as I was. I'm sorry, but at that pertinent per, per, time, uh, they were as bad as I was because they wanted answers. They wanted the truth. Uh-huh. And they got it. They got it. They got the truth. And there's um, apparently there was some evidence that Sheila was planning on killing other people. She had other um, victims in mind. That's not been proven, but yeah, that's what the uh, that's what everybody tells us. What would have happened if they hadn't solved it? Daylene, do you have? Some? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the last twelve hours at the twelfth hour, uh, one of the interviews I conducted with um, law enforcement. They said basically they didn't. Um, they had text messages between Sheila and another person who was supposed to be a really close friend of Sheila, and Sheila was doing the same thing with her and her text messages that she had done with Skylar, which is that person wanted to reach out to Sheila and spend time together, and Sheila was saying, "Oh yeah, I'd love to get together," but it, behind the scenes, she was saying hateful things that she couldn't stand that person, and the police believed that that person was her next victim. Hmm. Well, certainly, I mean, when, if someone can do such a cold-hearted, ruthless, psychopathic murder as this one, I mean, you know, the thing that gets me as a psychiatrist, well, a lot of things in, in this, um, or the forensic psychiatrist as well, um, the thing that gets me is the fact that, that Sheila and Skyler were friends from eight years old. I mean, yes, it's one thing when... You know, whether it's boys or whether it's, you know, her mother's divorce or a a stepfather being abusive or something. There has to be something in Sheila's, and and I said that 
to you before, Sheila and Rachel's background, there has to be something where they were abused sexually, physically. There has to have been some kind of tremendous trauma, not to take any blame off of them, but to explain how two 16-year-old girls can do this to a friend with knives stabbing countless times. There has to have been some kind of psychological trauma that hardened them in this way. And the idea that Sheila, you know, from, from 8 to what, 8 to 12 or something, let's say, you know, in those early years, um, you're not, I mean, yes, something could have happened. She could have been being sexually abused all those years. But, I mean, you know, you start out more innocent. Um, you start out being really caring about your BFF even more when you're little. I mean, you're, you get even closer. You develop those bonds, and then being a BFF for eight years, um, not that, you know, not that Ra- this excuses Rachel, but, I mean, it's just so hard to, all the, the times, like you were saying, they went to camp together, which which really uh, forms bonds. She spent, Skylar spent weekends at Sheila's house. I mean, you know, all these pajama parties and, and all these, you know, all the time together, the phone, the text, the whatever, um, for all these years, it's just, it just makes it so, I, I mean, what Sheila had to, there had to be something so strong that would overcome in her, you know, so much reason, so much perhaps irrational reason, but um, that would make her do such a thing when this was a friend from 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 eight years old. That's that's just makes it all the worse. Yes, we uh, one of the people we worked with on this was uh, Ken Lanning, who had been uh, uh, worked with the FBI and the. And the Profiling and, and especially in adolescent crime, and he had a lot of experience with that. And one of the things he said to watch for was that he said there'll be whatever reason they give um, might or might not be the whole thing. The whole thing is about the dynamic between the three of them, about um, various aspects of their personalities and how those all uh, blended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there, he said that there were a lot of Things that you know, there Sheila and um, Skyler's history among them. Uh, for instance, uh, she, Sheila and Rachel, by all appearances, had had you know girls at that age are developing at different rates and so forth. And Sheila and Rachel had were becoming uh, young women much faster than Skyler, and that was one of the dynamics that that kind of pulled them apart mm. from what we could tell. Mm-hmm. And so, and Daylene could probably address some of that better than I could. Well, one of the things that Ken said, you know, Ken's a longtime profiler. He's probably one of a handful of people who's done the type of anal- analyzation he's done with criminals in this country. So he's very, very well respected in the law enforcement field. And he taught at Quantico for many, many years in the behavioral sciences unit. Um, but he said that. Um, it looked to him like there was something that reminded, um, in Skyler, something inherently good that reminded Rachel and Sheila of what they had either lost or never could be, which mm. we thought was very interesting. Mm, yes, yes. Well, we need to take another break. Um, as you can see, there are so many, so many aspects of this, and of course, we're never going to be able to bring Skylar back, but we can help people to understand and prevent this from happening for, to their daughters. Um, we're talking today about Skylar Neese's story. Uh, my guests are David Neese, Daylene Berry, 
and Jeffrey Fuller, and uh, they're the authors of The Savage Murder of Skylar Niece, The Truth Behind the Headlines. We will come back to that when we come back. <laughs> I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about the Skylar Niece story. With my guests, David Niece, uh, Skylar's father, Daylene Berry, and Jeffrey Fuller, the authors of The Savage Murder of Skylar Niece, The Truth Behind the Headlines. One of the things that really bothers me, and maybe, I don't know if I'm missing something here, but um, Rachel was the one who came forward to the police. If she hadn't done that, you know, they might not even have ever discovered uh, who killed Skylar. And so she came forward, she told the whole story, and um, she tried to do a plea deal. Anyway, in the end, they were back and forth in court. And just in, on February 26th of this year, uh, she was sentenced to 30 years. And meanwhile, uh, um, Sheila, who you know first said she wasn't, not, she first pled not guilty, and then four days before her January trial, she changed her plea to guilty and did a plea deal. And um, she pled to first-degree murder with mercy. And then she was sentenced to life imprisonment and eligible for parole after 15 years. So, so Sheila could get out after 15 years. Now, I'm wondering if, um, what is it, do you know how many, would Rachel be, does Rachel have the possibility of parole also? When is she eligible for parole? After 10 years. Oh, Okay. All right. So, because Rachel certainly deserved a lighter sentence, that's where I was going. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't think she does. You don't think? Oh, okay. Why? Um, because, yeah, she did go to the police to tell them where Scott was and all that, but she's also the one that put Scott where she is. I think both of them deserve the same thing. I think both of them should have been like in prison without the possibility of parole, but they don't do that to juveniles, or they don't do that to anyone under the age of 21, I believe it is in West Virginia, and um, I don't believe she, Rachel deserved anything because the way it was going to look was Rachel was uh, 
knight in shining armor going to come and, you know, save this whole trial. She's a cold-blooded killer. As well. That's all she is. Well, you know, just because these people, these girls are eligible for parole in 10 and 15 years doesn't mean that they're going to get it. And I'm sure you and your wife are going to be right there saying why they shouldn't get it. Exactly. I will be there every step of the way. So now tell us about Skylar's Law. There is um, a a silver lining to this. Yeah. um, When we couldn't get the Amber Alert to go through, an old high school friend of mine who was on a the computer with us every day, Becky Benson Bailey, had come up with a uh, law and uh, or a, a reason that why the law needed changed, and she had sent it to um, one of our local delegates, Charlene Marshall, and Tom Bloom, Charlene Marshall, and a herd of other people got together on this law, and uh, they took it to Charleston, and the first time they tried to um, get it passed, it stopped. For one vote stopped it, and um, here it was the state police because the wording wasn't correct. But once we got the wording correct, everybody voted for it, and it passed. It's known now as Skyler's Law. And, and what, what does it, does, it mean? It is, yeah, go ahead. What does it do? You know, um, right now, if a teenager is believed to be in danger, period, they can issue an Amber Alert. They don't have to um, see on tape or the child's being taken by force or anything like that. If they believe the child's in danger and they believe something's just not right, they can issue an Amber Alert. Before, you had to prove the child was in danger. And, I believe that's it. Well, and, yeah, apparently there are four criteria for, um, at least for where for West Virginia, where um, a child is believed to have been abducted under 18, in danger of death or serious injury, and uh, sufficient information that the Amber Alert would be helpful. Um, and, and yes, so many, in the meantime, while they're waiting, they wanted to wait 48 hours, is that right? Exactly. And, yeah. you know, 48 hours, um, obviously a lot can happen in that time, and, in fact, most things that are going to, bad things that are going to happen do happen uh, during that time. So... So uh, you know this. You really this really honors Skyler's memory, and just think of all the uh, all the you know children under eighteen who she will be helping um, through through her law, or that you will be you and your wife will be helping through having uh, seen that her Skyler's law went through. Yes, and if it saves one child, it's certainly not worth losing Skyler, but it's worth all the hours and everything else that. We stayed up and going to Charleston back and forth. It's worth every bit of that if it just saved one child. Yes. And so, um, are you? Um, what is? What is sort of? Is there anything else that's you know? I, I know, um, Daylene and Jeffrey. You're you the book that I've been mentioning. The title of the book: The Savage Murder of Skylar Nice. The truth behind the headlines. That is an ebook that is on Amazon right now. But you want to tell us about the um, print book that's coming out? Yeah, the print book comes out July eighth. That's when the publisher Ben Bell is releasing it, and it will be comprehensive. There's at least a hundred more pages of information that we didn't have when the ebook came out. And that's going to be and in it, July. 
Yeah, and it sheds a lot more light. We couldn't give people the answers that we wanted ourselves because we didn't have them. We were waiting on the trial like everybody else, but when the trial didn't happen, then the police were able to talk with us and other people opened up and could talk to. So we've got the answers finally in the mm-hmm. print book. Mm-hmm. You know, that must have been those six months that we talked about between the time that Rachel came forward and the time that they arrested Sheila. Um, that must have been a very interesting time between in the relationship between Rachel and Sheila. Uh, you know, I mean, Sheila must have been, of course, terrified and enraged at Rachel at the same time for having for having confessed. What what do you know about that time? Um, We've go ahead. So for me or for Galen? Oh, Jeff. Um, it. Uh, as I found out later on, they really didn't have any contact after Rachel had confessed, just a little bit of stuff on the phone and stuff, but everything was monitored very closely by the police. Mm. And um, so it was basically, they were trying to get Sheila to fess up, basically, um, through through Rachel. And uh, um, all the stuff that they got through that was going to be brought out in the trial if there was one, and of course... Uh, the defense attorney said he had no defense, and that's the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah, and, the uh, defense he, attorney for for Sheila, yes. And uh, he he couldn't he couldn't put on a defense because there was no defense. So, um, with that being said, that they must have done a pretty good job of getting everything they needed because they had no defense at all. Yeah, which is very shocking because there's usually, uh, yes, that in itself is kind of suspicious because there's usually something, if a defense attorney is hired by the defendant or the defendant's family, you know, they, for example, um, as I think I mentioned to you before, um, you know, as a, as a, that's what I get called upon to do um, at times, you know, to come up, for example, with a psychiatric defense. Like, as I was saying, there was probably something in Sheila's background not that that I don't think it would have gotten them very far, really, you know, with this heinous crime. But but that's the kind of thing that you would expect a defense attorney to put on a, a psychological explanation, at least to get some sympathy for Sheila or something. It's just really shocking that he would say we have no defense, although he might have been as horrified about this whole thing as everybody else. Yeah, that's very true. He may have been. Um, I haven't spoken with him personally at all. Um, but um, anybody who listens to this story has to be horrified. I mean, if you're a parent, even if you're human, and listen to this story, it's just appalling. It's sick. It's just mm-hmm. very sick. Mm-hmm. Now, I know Rachel's parents, through their lawyer, came out and apologized. Has Sheila's, I mean, you knew Sheila's family. Have, have any of the, since then, have, have the parents or the families of these girls um, said anything or to you and your wife? No, nothing. Well, and it may be embarrassment. It may be they don't know what to say. It may, you know, I, if I was in their position, I probably wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, you know, their, it, their daughters have put them in a heck of a situation. That's for sure. Yes, what is there to say? And and rightfully, they should be feeling they should be feeling guilty for having raised two girls who would do such a thing. Well, thank you all. Um, Again, David, please convey my condolences to Mary as well. Deline and Jeffrey, um, I 
I'm glad that you wrote this book and, and the forthcoming Pretty Little Liars coming out in July. Um, people need to, to read this and to understand that, um, to under, unfortunately understand that this kind of cold-hearted killing could at this point in our history go on and to protect, to know how to raise your children to not have them become murderers and to protect your children to not, to make sure that they're not this kind of thing doesn't happen to them. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.